Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss this Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets defeat the Philadelphia 76ers. Final score, 116-111. There was a most valuable Philadelphian uh, sitting out today, and unfortunately, uh, Denver didn't get the the MVP battle that they were hoping for. Uh, it is what it is. But uh, Hurricane, you are exactly right. Is Ryan Embiiding the live show? No, Ryan, like Embiid, had a couple technical difficulties heading into this particular show. Uh, it is pretty funny though. Uh, all of the comments. All of the articles, you had a Jokic defense article drop on ESPN. You had a Shamsharania post, a, a one-on-one with Joel Embiid about how he clearly doesn't want the MVP. Uh, that one was just so sweet to see him sit out today. Uh, I was looking forward to this matchup just as everybody else was, and I was I was pretty surprised that he ended up sitting out. And look, if he's got a real injury, so be it. Like, I understand. It, it is what it is. It happens. But why did the Sixers not play Joel Embiid on Saturday when they had a back-to-back? Why did they play him against the Golden State Warriors and Phoenix Suns on a back-to-back? He could have locked up the MVP tonight. Uh, with the way that the Nuggets played in the fourth quarter, he certainly should have locked up the MVP tonight if they were able to come out with the win. But unfortunately, the Sixers were playing with Paul Reed, Montrez Harrell, and uh, Dwayne Dedman as their starting centers. And it would probably be helpful if they didn't have those guys. Uh, it was a travesty in general that the NBA, NBA at large did not get this matchup. But the Nuggets are going to be okay. The Nuggets, they get this game. They don't have to care about this matchup anymore. And they don't have to really worry about playing in Philadelphia again, because they're certainly not seeing Philly in the finals. Ain't ain't no way that the Philadelphia 76ers are getting to the finals if they're dealing with this madness, if this is is the version of the team that they're bringing there. I know they've got Harden and Embiid. I know those guys didn't play tonight, but there's just a lot to think about with this group. I, I don't think that they have the goods, if I'm being honest. I think Milwaukee was way better. And Denver just messed around in this game. They didn't mess around versus Milwaukee, and that's why the score differentials were the way that they were. But look, it is what it is. And Denver, they did mess around a little bit in that fourth quarter. But up until that point, it certainly felt like the Nuggets had done some great things. And Nikola Jokic, one of those guys who did great things, 25 points, 17 rebounds, 12 assists, his his, uh, 29th triple-double on the season, he has one more until he gets to 30 triple-doubles, which is patently insane, by the way. Uh, 8 of 11 from the field, 9 of 11 from the free throw line, 17 rebounds, 12 assists, 2 blocks. Uh, had a couple of good rim protection possessions in this game. And honestly, I thought that his defense was pretty good in the first and third quarters. Not good in the second and fourth quarters. Definitely felt like he, among others, really let up in those moments and kind of gave a, a little bit of a runway to a lot of different guys. But it felt like he was taking this game very seriously on both ends of the floor. Uh, the Nuggets, they knew they needed to do everything that they could to take advantage of this matchup. And they did for uh, the vast majority of it. I, in my in my mind, I am kind of throw this game away for Jokic because the matchup was so much of a disparity that they were probably game planning for 
Embiid. They were probably game planning for everything to do with what the Sixers were supposed to bring. And they didn't bring that. And there was an emotional letdown, for sure, at various points in this game. And the Nuggets kind of coughed up a little bit of a lead here or there. It should have been a much larger discrepancy than it was. But I am not worried about it. This is not the game to really be picking nits with everything that the Nuggets uh, have going on. So, look, Jokic, he showed up tonight. He showed up to work. He was very good. He did not have the issues that Joel Embiid tonight uh, did where he couldn't get on the floor. And it is pretty funny that Jokic, who was dealing with a bum hamstring, it's the reason why he sat out the game uh, the game on Tuesday, Wednesday, one of those days, against the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, that, that second night of a back-to-back, and then played again on that Saturday uh, or Sunday, one of the two, against Joel Embiid in his house. And he played bad. Or he, like, Jokic was fine. Embiid was way better in that matchup, and there's no doubt that that's going to be tied up in the MVP conversation as well. But Jokic clearly wasn't 100% in that game, and his, he still gave it a go. Embiid, clearly not 100%. Obviously, if you, if you watch the game on Saturday against the Phoenix Suns, he probably couldn't. He probably shouldn't have played in that game, and it got bad enough, I guess, that they decided to rest him in this one. But it just sucks. It just sucks that that's what happened. And Denver, at this point, they like, like they don't they don't need to deal with this this drama anymore. It's it's perfectly fine. Uh, Hurricane says Sixers were nine and four without Embiid going into tonight. They got the better version of Philly tonight. Yeah, honestly, I thought that Philly played pretty well. Tyrus Maxey went off and he had some great moments. Uh, he went up against Zeke Naji. He did a lot of good stuff, and like it wasn't really against Nikola Jokic that Tyrese Maxey was going off. Uh, Tobias Harris was also going one on one against his matchups, and that wasn't against Nikola Jokic. It was just kind of in the flow of uh, the offense and then like going one on one in those matchups. So. Look, I thought that Jokic was fine. I thought that Denver did okay. They could have played better, but it's just not something to really worry about, you know? Jamal Murray, 36 minutes tonight, 19 points, 8 of 14 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3. Murray had a lot of his points, I think, Right at the uh, at like the halfway mark of the second quarter, I think he had about thirteen, maybe fifteen points at that point, and kind of shut it down. wasn't necessarily looking to score after that threshold, uh, but had seven assists, had five rebounds, was a plus six when a lot of those minutes were spent with the bench lineup, and I thought that Murray was pretty good. I thought that at the beginning of this game, he looked very spry. He looked very quick was doing his best on both ends of the floor to keep up with the play and was forcing uh, contests, uh, was was having good contests and, and forcing misses on the defensive end. Got a steal at that point. And I thought he kind of was a little bit amped up on the offensive end, but there was a string of possessions in that second quarter, kind of right when the game was, it was, it was evening out a little bit, where the Sixers had almost climbed all the way back Jokic had left in the first quarter with the Nuggets up 10. The Nuggets bench was, of course, giving it back. And Murray, among other guys that were out there, hit back-to-back threes. He then hit another three. Uh, It was a good thing to see him really go off in that second quarter. It gave Denver the, the breathing room that they needed. And when the Sixers were hitting as many shots as they were, you you need somebody who could kind of match that energy. And, and I thought he did. In, in at least that moment, though it, it certainly feels like uh, Denver could be getting more from him in some of these second halves, where I think he's kind of shutting down the the scoring perspective. And he's he's had this a couple of times, most notably against the Brooklyn Nets, when he had 25 in the first half, then finished the game with 25. I think that Murray could probably do a better job of attacking the rim and attacking his matchups in the second half of games. Uh, again, picking nits, definitely not the most important thing, but he, I think, is ready for the playoffs. I, I feel like he's locked in. I feel like he's he's done everything that he needs to do, and he's playing mid-30s in the minutes consistently. He looks like he's in a great place. He may not be a, an all-star caliber like playoff player every night, but if he's close, then Denver has a chance against every single team. 
he'll probably need to be better than that on some nights, but not every night. Like sometimes you just need what he gave tonight, 19-7 and 5. That's pretty good. That's a really, really good night. And then you just get one other guy around Jokic to really step up. And that's all Denver is going to need. So good stuff from Murray. Michael Porter Jr., it's crazy. His three-point shot looks so good tonight, and yet he airballed several twos. <laughs> like A lot of the two-pointers, whether he was trying to go for the floater, whether he was going for kind of turnaround jumpers, uh, maybe it was a pick, not, not like a, a runoff three for, uh, turning into a two. Like He had a, several moments where he just airballed and, and just completely missed the iron in a lot of ways. And that's surprising because his shot generally looks so good, but he always looks like not always, but it's pretty frequent that he looks uncomfortable when he doesn't just take a two point pull up. And if he's trying to take a shot that's one handed or he's not getting all the way to the rim and he's trying to do a floater, that's not his game. And he like it's sometimes he tries to do a push shot, but clearly doesn't have a lot of practice with it, isn't so well-versed in that when playing physically against other people that he he can always go to it. I thought Murray had a couple of those shots tonight that went in and, and looked pretty good. Porter's kind of the opposite. You you need him shooting jumpers or you need him getting all the way to the rim. Uh, he had a couple of opportunities in that fourth quarter to really put the game away with his jumper, missed those shots, and like that's sometimes going to happen. But uh, he was one of those guys that, like I think you could say, is a culprit. Uh, KCP was another culprit. Jokic Murray didn't really take many shots in that fourth quarter, but and to get it down to that point, but MPJ, KCP, and Jeff Green, who we'll get to in the second segment, those were probably the guys that I, I look to and say, yeah, that that wasn't wasn't good enough. Was it wasn't good enough in that fourth quarter, guys? KCP, as I mentioned, uh, MPJ had 15 points and six rebounds. KCP had Five points, two assists, one rebound. And two of eight from, from the field, one of four from three. Had a lot of bricks. Had, had a lot of stuff where uh, he just he just had a lot of stuff where I, I wasn't really impressed with his focus level. I wasn't really impressed with his ability to convert in the moments that Denver needed him to convert. Now, he's had moments where he stepped up in the past. And, and he's had moments throughout, throughout the season where he stepped up and deserved some credit. In those situations, but I got to imagine that like KCP is going to be one of those guys that if he misses his shots in the playoffs, doesn't convert on his possessions in the playoffs, then he could be a major issue uh, and, and could be the reason why Denver loses a game that they're supposed to win. So he's got to be on point. And a lot of his shots, whether they're the pull-up twos, whether they are getting all the way to the rim, like he missed a a weird shot at the rim tonight. I can't even remember if it was in transition, but I just remember the the ball kind of rolling off the rim in a way where it was impossible for him to miss the shot that he did. Um, but look, his defense is still relatively good. It's not so elite at this point that like I don't think that he's a stopper. I don't think that he's going to be that guy. It was actually interesting. I, I, Jamal took the... Tyrese Maxey assignment a lot of the night tonight. And I don't think that Jamal got scored on a lot. Tyrese Maxey, when he was with the bench, sought out switches against other guys. Uh, He scored on KCP a couple times. He scored on Jamal maybe once or twice. Scored on Zeke Naji several times. Um, But it is is interesting to think about what Denver's going to do. They probably should have had KCP on Tyrese Maxey for the entire game. That would have been the right call uh, to engage KCP in that way, but it it just didn't happen. So it's interesting. KCP can definitely go through times where he floats. He's got to be a better cutter. He's got to be more consistent, uh, keeping himself involved and getting himself some easier shots because he does mostly get easy shots, but if they're not in the rhythm that he likes, not in the rhythm where he converts, then it isn't super helpful for the actual offense. And tonight, uh, not last one, what did I say? Tonight. Uh, Aaron Gordon, 24 minutes tonight. That's what I was trying to say. 12 points, 6 of 14 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3. Not a good game from Aaron Gordon, but he was a plus 20 because when he was out there on the court, the Nuggets were 
really good. They they found ways in that first and third quarter, especially, to really ramp up the score. It looked like the game was out of reach. And Michael Malone said this after the game that it was his fault that Aaron Gordon didn't get back in. He did not think that the game, when it was a 20-point margin with six minutes to go, he did not think that he needed to put Aaron Gordon back in the game. And then like Philly goes on this 16-2 to run or whatever it was and like basically trims down the lead entirely. But they did it so quickly that when Michael Malone decided that he probably should get Aaron Gordon back into the game, Gordon had been sitting for so long that it's probably a good idea to just finish with the guys that you have out there. Uh, he did get Murray back in at like the 340 mark, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I yeah, I I understand this decision by Malone. I understand why he did what he did. It's still an issue. And it always seems to be the veterans that he leaves out there just a little bit too long. Uh, it, it never is anybody else. And, and so we'll, we'll, talk, we'll get to Jeff Green in the second segment. I thought it was good and bad. But look. Aaron Gordon wasn't playing a good game. He wasn't very good. He was still getting like he was still getting scored on by Tobias Harris. He was not getting to the rim as much as he needed to. He had some weird finishes where he wasn't shoot, he wasn't going up strong. He was trying to just lay it up and got blocked at the rim multiple times. So it's kind of weird. Only had four rebounds, only had two assists. Did have two steals and two blocks, or two steals and a block, which is good, but I'm not going to get super mad in a situation like this where Malone probably could have done better in that situation, but it, it really didn't have any bearing. Like Denver should have been better regardless of whether Aaron Gordon was out there or not. Like This was not the matchup where you needed Aaron Gordon to be great. This was the matchup where Jokic probably should have taken more than one shot in that fourth quarter, and Murray didn't take any, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So, look, it's tough. Sometimes this stuff happens. And this game was obviously closer than it needed to be, but Denver still got the win and their starters were all positive. So I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. Denver got the win. That's all it really needs to be said. So tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss, uh, what are we going to discuss? We're going to discuss the bench and everything going on with the bench. But first, this podcast, as you know, is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. You don't need to find a pot of gold to strike it rich this March. Instead, win money on your tournament wagers with Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best team of odds makers in the business, so they're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling. You have a direct line to their experienced staff behind the counter in Las Vegas. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around, so no matter what you want to wager on come tournament time, Superbook is sure to have it. Download the Superbook Sports app and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back with Big Axe and Roll. And we're back. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure to give this podcast a like on the YouTube side if you're watching. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Already up to 1.4K subscribers. Really appreciate it. Uh, this podcast, as you guys know, it's it's been going on for a while uh, on the audio side, but on the on the podcasting side, or on the, the YouTube side, it's only about two months old. Like, we, we, haven't, we haven't done too much, uh, but we, we, I feel like we've done pretty well over the course of this. And we have a new background, courtesy of our producer, Michael Ferrero. Uh, thank you so much, Michael, for the awesome new background. All right, let's get back into it. Bench lineup for tonight is the one that you're probably familiar with. Jamal Murray, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, and Zeke Naji. Um, I'm just going to read off the plus minuses here real quick before we get into it. Murray was a plus six, though he did spend a lot of time with the starters. Bruce Brown was a minus seven. Christian Brown was minus five. Zeke Naji was minus six. And Jeff Green was minus 15. Now, I don't want to put this all on Jeff. I I wouldn't want to do that because it's not really fair. Um, There were things that Jeff could have done better. 
But I do think that 24 minutes for Jeff Green is obviously too much. At this stage of his career, it's obviously too much. Eight points, two of five from the field, 0 of two from three, four of four from the free throw line. I do want to point that out, that Jeff made clutch free throws when the team needed it. He got fouled, got to the got to the free throw line, up three with about 13 seconds left to go, and he converts both both free throws in that moment. That's great. It's good stuff and deserves to be lauded for that. Now, he did miss a dunk. He did miss a couple of possessions, uh, missed a couple threes, especially clutch time threes where the team, like the Sixers were obviously going to leave him open. And he missed both of those shots. Actually, one of those was, uh, one of those was, I think, towards the end of the third or the first quarter, one of those two. But the other was in clutch time. And the number that I still want to point out, though, is the two rebounds. Two rebounds is just not good enough for your power forward. Like, Jokic had 17. He has to do so much as a rebounder in these moments that most of the time Jeff Green can get away with boxing out, not rebounding at all, and like just, just waiting for other guys to grab that defensive board. But when you need somebody to go outside of their area in order to grab a rebound, Jeff's never going to be that guy to do it. There were so many possessions that Denver had where they lost the 50-50 battle. And they shouldn't have because the Sixers, especially the lineups that they were playing, a lot of the Tobias Harris at center, not center, uh, PJ Tucker at center, Georges Niang, Jada McDaniels, those guys are forward size. Those guys are big, but they're also like, like you should be clearly capable enough to handle them if you're Jeff Green. You should be able to match them size for size. And the fact that Paul Reed had nine rebounds, Shake Milton had six rebounds, and those guys combined for six offensive rebounds. Like A lot of that came in the fourth quarter. A lot of that came in moments where Denver needed somebody to hustle up and get some boards. And I'm not just putting it all on Jeff, but he's the guy who always is at the center of these conversations where if you're looking for more, Jeff's not going to give it to you on the rebounding front, on the, on the extra energy front. Now, I had a couple texts on Saturday night with Matt Moore who watched the Giannis versus Jokic battle against the Bucs and saw how great Jeff Green was in that game. And so I don't want to like be the guy that's always going to put down Jeff, that's always going to like bash the old guy because he, he's not giving the, the requisite effort against the Sixers team without Harden or Embiid. But it's just like that. That's one of the reasons why they were losing. It's one of the reasons why they lost his minutes and were minus 15. It's not the only reason. There were other things that you can point to. Another notable one was that Zeke Naji had zero rebounds. So that's always also going to be a thing. But if they're targeting Zeke, if they are putting him into a position where he is guarding on the perimeter on ISOs, then Jeff is a guy who has to be in the paint because the rest of your team is. Bruce Brown, Jamal Murray, and Christian Brown. And Jeff's got to know that. He's got to be better than that and just has not been better than that. So, look, I I think that Vlaco should be playing over Jeff. It's not the call that they're making. It's not what they've decided to do. And that's fine. I don't know everything. I don't pretend to know everything. I don't think that Jeff has been great. I think he has good flash moments. And they are too inconsistent for my liking. I think that Vlatko's not much better, but he is more consistent. I think you can count on what you're getting from Vlatko on a more consistent basis. But I do think that Jeff's ceiling is higher, which is probably one of the reasons that he's out there. So we will see what it looks like and, and whether that actually changes changes over the course of these next couple of games. But I just can't imagine. And I think Denver's gotten into a rhythm with their bench that they're probably not going to want to move anything around now. So, And plus, they're winning. Michael Malone very rarely makes rotation changes when they're winning. So, is what it is. Bruce Brown. I thought Bruce had a great game. In general, I know he was minus seven. I know there are a couple of things you can point to. But five of ten from the field, two of five from three, six of seven from the line. That is a legit scorer off the bench. Right there. You need a guy who is capable 
of converting opportunities on a consistent basis. He spaced the floor. He attacked in transition. He attacked the gaps. He was willing and able to make shots late in the shot clock. There was a grenade that Jamal threw to him. Actually, a couple of grenades that Jamal threw to him late in this game that Jamal should probably feel bad about and probably does feel bad about. But uh, look, Bruce played really well, and he was very consistent throughout the game. I thought his effort on both ends of the floor was really good. Uh, He grabbed four rebounds, which, hey, kudos to him. He was the leading bench rebounder. And that's a problem because he's the smallest guy on the bench. But look, I mean, five assists is great. Uh, Denver had 34 assists as a team, and Brown was definitely one of the biggest reasons with that second unit. But he also staggers with the starters and, and I think always generally fits pretty well with that group. There, there were moments in the second quarter especially where he was the leading guy as the point guard and the team didn't really find a good rhythm uh, from an offensive standpoint when Murray was off the floor. So it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect, but it was good to see him. I think Joe's right. Uh, spark plug off the bench. That's what he needs to be. And he hasn't had as much of a spark over the course of these last three, four months or so. It's been mostly consistent, but not as many spark plays. So there was a dunk that he had tonight. That was like, I, I'd consider that a spark. That was good. Um, consistent, Consistently has those moments. And if he can continue to, like he hit the floater tonight at least once. I think that was late in the shot clock, but if he can hit that floater, then more power to him. That's a points that you're basically stealing from the other team at that point. So if he can get that consistently, then great. That'll help Denver out tremendously. Uh, nope, that was Jeff Green. Christian Brown. Oh boy, Christian Brown. That putback dunk from Christian Brown tonight was nuts. <laughs> just, just bonkers. I tweeted this out that I... I had that feeling while I was in the arena of reacting to something a split second before everybody else knew exactly what was happening and saw it. Because I could see Christian Brown. I saw the ball bounce in his direction off of the rim. I don't remember who missed the shot, but I saw it bounce in his direction. And then I saw Christian Brown rising. And I said, I don't remember exactly what I said. I think it was, oh, shit. Um, But I, I... saw exactly what was going to go down, and then he dunks that thing. And some of the pictures and the highlights and the reactions to that dunk were insane. Uh, The dude can get up. He has insane hops. And he continues to prove, I think, that giving him more opportunities is better than giving him fewer opportunities. He has taken and run with all of the opportunities that he gets. Had some really good contests. Had some really good possessions where he's converting at the rim, where he is uh, uh, not just like he he hit a couple threes tonight and had some good moments where he finished the possession uh, when Denver needed him to be the best version of himself that they could be. He was there. He was absolutely there. Um, I think that his status in the rotation, uh, Miguel, I think, hits on it here. If Christian Brown can make his threes more often, he will be a big help in the playoffs. He's going to be a swing factor, right? Like, he's not going to get that many threes. He's not going to be in a position where he has to hit five threes in a game, or like he may not even get up five shots. Like, but on the shots that he does get, on the opportunities, the limited opportunities that he does get, he has to be making the most of it. He has to be a guy who the opposing team can't feel like they can just leave wide open. Tonight, I thought that Philly could leave Aaron Gordon wide open on the perimeter, and it wouldn't have mattered. But with Christian Brown, he can't really do that. He's been shooting the ball really, really well in the second half of the season and just continuously finds a way to just continuously finds a way to make an impact on the team. His defense is always going to be there. His athleticism, his tenacity, his willingness to get dirty. Uh, not not play dirty, but kind of get dirty and, and do the dirty work on the defensive end. It's so important. I do think that he needs to rebound better. He did have three rebounds tonight. 
but he can still be better. He can still be better than that, and the Nuggets need him to be as good as he can possibly be on the defensive glass, not just the offensive glass. Like he got the he got the dunk tonight, and uh, but yeah, like got the steal during that next possession, as Casey Mack says, and like just hitting that three and, and making impact plays. He's never coming out of the rotation if he continues to do that. So really, really impressive stuff from him. Really, really like what I've seen. And he just continues to prove that he deserves to be out there. And that's all you can ask for. And finally, Zeke Naji. I thought that Zeke was fine. He did have zero rebounds, and that is concerning. There were several possessions, in, especially in that second quarter, where Tyrese Maxey was going right at Zeke Naji. And it's funny, they're right in the same drive class. Tyrese Maxey was the 21st pick in the draft. Zeke Naji was the 22nd pick of the 2020 draft. So I wonder if they have a relationship there. I wonder how Zeke feels about that. But Tyrese Maxey definitely got the better of him in that matchup. They didn't give him a block. I thought that he blocked one of Tyrese's shots at the rim and it helped spark a run where Najee got out and collected an alley-oop and then Jeff had a dunk and then Murray hit his back-to-back threes in that second quarter and it helped Denver get the lead that they needed to get. And they, they were able to keep the Sixers at bay in that moment. And it was nice to see because uh, I think that Zeke has in general played pretty well. There are some things that he can't do. Like there are some things that he needs to do better. The rebounding is always going to be that uh, zero steals, zero blocks. And I thought I thought he got a deflection. I thought he got a block. I'm surprised that they didn't credit him with any of that stuff. Feels like uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. And I was seeing some weird stuff during the game. But I thought he had some up and down moments. And the dunk that he had in the fourth quarter, like towards the beginning of it was a really, really nice dunk too. Like he he was, I think it was his only one-footed dunk that he's had in a while. And seeing him get up like that and be a little bit more explosive, like that was really cool. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good sign for a guy that's coming off of an injury like he has, and he's been, he's been out for six weeks or however long he was. So I do think that he can fill a role. I think the 13 minutes is probably around the role that he should fill, but... Uh, Denver, they can't keep losing those minutes. They need to be at about minus two to minus four. Minus six is fine. It's pushing it. But he's part of the reason why, because he he couldn't get enough stops on Tyrese Maxey. I do think that he can do better. I do think that rebounding will help. I do think that if he just hits a couple of those two threes that he hit, both of them, or that he took, both of them were in the left corner. If he hits both of those or hits one of those, then maybe it's a completely different feel. But he was a part of it, did okay, not necessarily great, but it was still good to see Denver's bench as a whole uh, have some good moments. Uh, You had 26, 32, 40 points off the bench. That's rare. That's a really, really rare number. Denver just doesn't have that that often. So 40 points off the bench, hard to complain about it, even though the plus minus wasn't great. Obviously, the Sixers, deep bench guys, they made a run of it. But look, it is what it is. Sometimes opposing team will catch you and when you're when you're least expecting it. So look, either way, good win. Could have been a better win, but I am not super worried about the fact that this game was close. Sometimes shit happens. Like it, it is what it is. So let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to go over uh, some of the MVP narratives and then some of the rest of the season and everything that goes with that. But first, have a special message from the Scott to Huff podcast. We're back. Pickaxe and Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, really appreciate all the love and support on the show. Uh, I see uh, 
See, Joe, thank you so much for the compliment, Joe. Just wanted to say that I've been jamming your podcast for a while and I love you doing YouTube. Thanks, man. Uh, it has been a pleasure to deliver the podcast on the YouTube front. I'm glad that so many people are enjoying it because I didn't really expect people to like what I was doing on the YouTube side. And like, I, I, I sort of have a face made for radio at times. So I, I'm glad that things have come across in, in a good and positive way. And obviously, extremely happy for the support that's that's been had on this channel. So thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. All right. Let's now wrap up Denver Nuggets, 51-24 and 24 record, game 75 of the season they just finished up. Game 75, where does the time go? It's crazy how quickly this thing moves. 32-6 and six home record, 19-18 and 18 road record, first place in the Western Conference. It's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing to say, uh, but Denver, they're going to be the one seed. Their magic number for the one seed is four with seven games to go. And what that means is that if Denver goes four and three the rest of the way, they are guaranteed a one seed. If Denver goes three and four the rest of the way and Memphis wins, or if they lose one more game, which I, I'd be surprised if they won out. I really, really would. Uh, so Denver, they probably don't have to go three and four even. They probably just have to go two and five in order to get that done. And I think that they will. I think that they're going to be just fine. And the fact that they're in this position, a lot's been made about the Western Conference being bad. And I get it. I get it that a lot of the teams that people expected to be at the top, the Suns, the Warriors, even the Lakers to some extent, uh, a lot of those teams have not performed to the level that I think many were hoping for. But Denver, they have performed and they shouldn't be taken like they are 51 and 24. They are a standard like 55, 56, 57 win team based off of how they finish up the rest of the season. And the fact that they're in this position where like they should be like penalized for the way that the rest of the team, the rest of the teams have really shown up this year. Denver's brought their A game for most of the season, or at least their B game, and their B game has been better than a lot of teams' A game. Or their B game's way better than a lot of other teams' B game, which is just generally how it goes. But it is cool to be in this position where Denver, they can at least take a little bit of a breath. And Michael Malone said that to me, I think, like, whether it was practice, I, I don't remember the context. Yeah, I think it was at practice when I was asking about Aaron Gordon. He said that everybody felt the need to come up for air. It wasn't just Aaron Gordon when he was kind of going through a little bit of a slump, and I, I think still kind of going through that. But over the course of the 75 games that they've played, Denver's gone through some ups and downs. They've had to figure some things out. They've had to refigure some things out. They've had to shuffle rotations. They've had to work back in Murray and Porter. They've had to do everything in their power to improve the team. And on the other side of it, they're 51 and 24. 51 and 24 is a great record. It's the third best record in the NBA. And they are one game back of the Boston Celtics. Now, they're not going to catch the Bucs. The Bucs are 54-21. and 21. So unless the Bucs kind of go on a tanking spree here and Denver basically wins out, I don't think that they're going to catch the Bucs for the best record in the NBA. But they could catch the Celtics for the second best record. In which case, if Denver were to make it to the NBA Finals and anybody but the Bucs were to make it on the other side, then Denver would be guaranteed to have games one and two at home, game seven at home. That's just a really cool thing. I thought that this would be the case. I thought that Denver would be, like, I, th I thought this would be perfectly reasonable to expect this from them. But to see the to see it actually happen, even when things haven't gone perfectly, is just a really exciting thing to discuss. So let's talk about the MVP narratives here real quick. And then we'll talk about the rest of the regular season. Odds shifted today after Embiid was announced that he would be out. FanDuel, I had posted earlier today, basically said that Embiid, who was the was the favorite, was the clear favorite, was then back to being like a implied 52 to 55% winner of the MVP. Like he had basically 50-50 odds or, or just slightly above. And I'm not surprised. I'm really not. 
because I think MVP voters, not MVP, like the the outlets, the betting outlets, I think they all thought collectively what everybody else thought. It's kind of lame. It's kind of lame that Embiid was so amped up writing the stories, uh, not not writing this, but like doing the interviews for all of these stories being written, for going on this campaign, for saying, oh, I don't really care about what, what Joker's doing and or Joker's great, but I don't see why like analytics say that he's the best defender of the NBA, basically, or like things like there's there's a lot of stuff that was in that Sham Sharania article on the Athletic that I think you should go read or at least find clips of, find uh segments of that he was basically bashing Jokic and several of his answers that weren't directed at Jokic. And for that to come out, and then for him to be sitting out. I think that the betting markets and a lot of the MVP voters residually were like, what the hell? What is going on here? Why are you doing this? Why is this a thing? And I think that everybody kind of collectively had this moment of, this is kind of lame. This is kind of dumb that this is going the way that it is. And he, I don't know if like the podcast title for this is Embiid Ducks Jokic. I don't know if he fully ducked him. I, I don't like this is a situation where he clearly could play on that last Saturday and decided not to play on this Monday. Now, did he look great? No. No, he didn't. He wasn't moving great. He would let Bismack Biombo smack him up a little bit, which that's not a great sign for the MVP award. But now the Sixers are two games back of the Denver Nuggets. Now they're two games back in the loss column in the, in the standings. And if the Nuggets finish as the one seed in the West, as the unequivocal better team than the Sixers in the standings, then all the things that Sixers fans were saying last year, oh man, Embiid was, he's not even like, or they were saying that Jokic, oh, he can't do it on a six seed. Well, the real reason that it didn't matter that much that Jokic was on a six seed was because of the margins. Like, I think that Jokic has had a better statistical season pretty clearly than Joel Embiid this year. And the fact that we're kind of getting to this point now where there was a narrative that was going towards Embiid, it was going clearly towards him. All he had to do tonight was to play in this game, perform well, and win. And if that had happened, then he would have wrapped up the MVP entirely. It wouldn't have been like he could have sat out the rest of the games or at least like a reasonable number of the games. Everybody that thought that Embiid was going to win MVP, they now have to do at least some soul-searching on this moment. Kendrick Perkins, of all people, was like, I'm going to remember this moment as an MVP voter, where he had an opportunity, Embiid did, to make a statement and chose to duck it, chose to save face. And it's pretty hilarious that... We're at this place now. It's pretty hilarious that we're at this place where Jokic could could potentially be a three-time MVP winner if he finishes above Embiid in the standings. Tim Bontemps was at the game tonight. He does the straw poll that ESPN releases, and they will probably release that straw poll next week. Next week. And he sent it out today. And they're the... Things are going to come back, and it's going to, it is going to be very interesting to see what people say. My general sense of it is that it's going to be about 50-50. My general sense is that there will be some people that vote Giannis. There will be some people that put him up there. Like maybe 20% of the votes will be for Giannis to be MVP. 80% of them will probably be for Jokic or Embiid. And my guess is that 40 of those will go to Jokic, 40 will go to Embiid. And how people vote on second place is going to be just as interesting. Wouldn't surprise me if it's completely split. Wouldn't surprise me if Giannis, if even if he's uh even if he is a like a 20% guy for first place, maybe he has the most second place votes. And it still is a three-team race in the, or a three-player race in that case. So it's going to be fascinating. But the narratives are all out of whack, of course, that 
Kirk Oldsberry of ESPN drops an article this morning on how bad Jokic's defense is at the rim. And he's right. He's absolutely right. But it was hilarious that it was dropped at this time. It was hilarious that it was dropped on the time where Sham Sharani also dropped his article about Embiid basically campaigning for himself. And they're now also in a position where Embiid ducks this matchup. And the, both of those articles just have to sit there. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> I laugh so hard, guys. I, I can't. I cannot tell you how hard I laughed uh, sitting in the room right behind me. My brother, he was sitting in this room doing work and was just like, what is going on? And when I told him Embiid was out, he laughed so hard, too. <laughs> it's so funny, man. Uh, everything is going crazy. Everybody is going crazy. And I just cannot wait to see how this thing plays out. Because either way, like, Jokic has already won two. What's the worst thing that can happen? Embiid wins? <laughs> like, fine. He's really good. He's really, really good. So it is what it is. But rest of the regular season now for Denver as it stands. They have two days off, and then they'll play on Thursday against New Orleans. Back-to-back on Friday night against Phoenix. Golden's, or not Golden's, yeah, that's a slip of the tongue. Kevin Durant will be back in that matchup. Uh, I assume he's going to be back on Wednesday, as Shams reported. He'll be back on Wednesday against Minnesota. Minnesota, by the way, six seed, six seed now. Golden State, the seventh seed. They're in the play-in tournament right now. That's interesting. That's a pretty fascinating thing. So we'll have to we'll have to play that by ear and see how that goes. But uh, Denver plays on Sunday against Golden State. Might want to throw that game intentionally so that you can get Golden State back out of the playing tournament. Uh, next after that, they go on a three-game road trip at Houston, at Phoenix, at Utah. None of those on back-to-backs. But then they come back with a back-to-back against Sacramento. I don't think that Sacramento game is going to mean much. I do think that Sacramento is basically out of the race for the one. They are now six full games behind the Nuggets, and the Nuggets have seven to go. So unless Denver loses out and Sacramento wins out, that is the only way for Sacramento to catch up. So they are out. It is just Memphis. But the West, as I mentioned, remains dumb and weird. (laughs) It does just remain super dumb. And yeah, Casey Max says 6th and through 11th all end up with the same record. Right now, I'm looking at it. Minnesota's at 37 losses. They're at 6. Golden State's at 37 losses. New Orleans is at 37 losses. The Lakers are at 38 losses. The OKC's at 38 losses. And Dallas is at 39. Uh, by the way, the Clippers are at 36. So if they go through a little bit of a, uh, a slump here, which they are prone to do, then they could absolutely drop out of this and then still be in the playing tournament themselves. So Timberwolves making a run. They're five and five in their last ten, but they're they've won their last four. So it's crazy how this thing can move. The Pelicans, who I thought were dead, I thought the Pelicans were dead in the water. They've won five in a row. They've put themselves back into this race. And it looks like Zion could come back at some point over the course of these next week. So if that happens then they suddenly become super dangerous. So right now, got the Clippers at, or the Suns at four, the Clippers at five, the T-Wolves at six, the Warriors at seven, the Pelicans at eight, the Lakers at nine, and the Thunder at 10, with Dallas at 11. I do think that Utah, they've lost four in a row now. I think they're done. I think that Utah's probably done, but uh, I mean, maybe. like There are two games back. Of the Lakers, that's the team that you'd be looking to really drop out. I guess OKC could drop too, but I think that OKC is just better than the Lakers are. So it is what it is. Um, but yeah, like I mean, think about that playing mix right there. Got the Timberwolves that are out of it, but the Warriors would face the Pelicans in the seven eight. The Lakers would face the Thunder in the nine ten, and the winner of the seven eight would be the seven. The loser would face the winner of nine ten. So in this scenario, the Nuggets would face face either the Pelicans, the Lakers, or the Thunder. I'm not sure who Nuggets fans would want more in that scenario. I've seen Nuggets fans want OKC, as they just don't really have a good matchup for Jokic. I think that I've seen Nuggets fans want the Lakers. 
and they want that particular matchup so you can go through and have all the smoke. And that would be cool too. Don't get me wrong. But it is just fascinating to think about everything going on with this team. Everything going on with the West. Nothing is settled. Everything in the West is just stupid. And the Nuggets are going to be penalized for it because they're going to have no idea who to game plan for until the final day of the playing tournament, where the 8-9 matchup is probably going to take pay, take place between a team like the Pelicans and the Lakers. But it could still be Dallas, could still be Utah, could still be Minnesota, could even be the Clippers if they decide to drop. But there's just so many options that are going through here. So it's going to be fascinating to see how it all breaks out. But I am hopeful that the Nuggets, like they, they seem to be in a good place. They seem to be in a good spot, and I'm looking forward to uh, really checking in with that over the course of these next couple of days. They've got practice on Wednesday. Uh, we've got some interesting things planned uh, for the podcast that I am excited to be able to bring to you going forward, but we will have to see when that ultimately comes out. But no, no, no surprise. It is a surprise, but no spoilers on that. Michael, can you hit that outro music for us? Everybody, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to the show. Got several people in here as we get to dance on the grave of, MB- of Embiid's MVP race. So funny. And... If this thing goes the way that we all think it could, then Nuggets fans are going to be laughing until the end of time. Sure, it brings on a lot of pressure, but who cares? Nuggets fans have dealt with worse. Everybody, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Hit that like button on the way out. Appreciate all the love and support. We'll talk to you guys very soon.